0: Why give money to a church? If you invited a guest today and they came, I'm really sorry. (laughs) But if it makes you feel better, we don't have to say, why give money to this church? We're just saying, why give money to a church? Because we've all heard horror stories. Even this past week, I learned that I have an aunt and uncle who invested their life savings with a minister and a ministry and lost everything. And if we've heard those horror horror stories and nobody likes talking about money at church, why on earth are we talking about it today? I'm a big fan of detective stories, Sherlock Holmes, short stories, uh, TV crime procedurals, even murder she wrote. Father Dowling Mysteries was a show in the 80s about a minister who also fought crime, which is like my life's dream. (laughs) And in those shows and in those stories, uh, they consistently say, follow the money. If you want an answer to the mystery, follow the money. And that's why we're talking about money today, because the same thing is true. If you want your spiritual life's development. If you want to know where you are in the process of spiritual maturity, if you want to know where you are in the process of becoming more like Jesus, follow the money. There is not a clear indicator of your discipleship in Christ than how you think about money, how you give money, and how you spend money. I mean, even Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. But our whole world is organized around money. And what makes us different than the rest of the world? Not much, DNA wise. So we consistently need to reevaluate which one of these things am I serving? That's why we're talking about it today. We're going to use Philippians chapter 4 to help us answer the question why should I give money to a church? As you're turning in your Bibles to Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church that he helped found, because they've been really generous to him. He's encouraging them in their faith, but he's, they've been really generous with him to support his ministry, and so part of this letter is a thank you and an encouragement for their generosity. Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why should I give money to a church? You see, in your listening guide, there are a few things that I want you to write down. Number one, because God is working. That's why you should give money to a church, because God is working. Acts chapter 16 tells the story of how this church in Philippi started. Started with a vision. Paul was actually trying to preach the gospel in some other places. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit was preventing him from going to those places. He has a vision of a man from Macedonia. That was the region that Philippi was in, saying, come over to us. And so Paul and his friends, his fellow missionaries, they got on a boat. They sailed to Macedonia. They went to Philippi, which was the leading capital city of Macedonia. There they meet a woman named Lydia. Lydia believed in God, but she didn't know about Jesus. So Paul and his friends share the message of Jesus with Lydia. She decides to become a follower of Christ. Then she takes them back to her house, which was a pretty nice house because she was a small business owner. And, And the people who worked in her house, in her business, they also became followers of Jesus. And the first church of Philippi was in the house of Lydia. One day, Paul and his friends are going through the marketplace in Philippi, just seeing who they can talk to about the Lord. A demon-possessed girl who was a slave uh, had the ability to tell the future, and uh, she would follow Paul around in that marketplace and say true things about what Paul was talking about, say true things about Jesus, but uh, it's never good when a demon is validating your ministry. It was a big distraction, and so the scripture says that Paul became annoyed, so we know it's okay to get annoyed as long as a demon-possessed girl is following you around, (laughs) preventing you from sharing the gospel. He's annoyed and he turns around and he drives that demon out of her in the name of Jesus. Well, when that happens, it's a good thing for her. It's a really bad thing for her slave owners because she used her ability to tell the future to make them money. So they're frustrated. They go to the city officials. Paul and his friend Silas are thrown into prison. Now you would think... After you had been faithful with the gospel, you had been prevented from going here. Finally, a door opened to you. You're having some success. People are responding to the message of Jesus. But now, all of a sudden, you're thrown in jail. You'd be very, very frustrated. You'd be complaining as you're in lock and chains in that prison cell. But not Paul and Silas. Scripture says that they're actually singing songs to God of praise, singing hymns. As they're doing that, there's an earthquake their chains fall off. The doors of their cells flee, uh, flood open. You would think that they would flee. But they don't. They sit there. And somehow, miraculously, all the other prisoners sit there too. But the guard doesn't know this. The one in charge of the cells. He's a part of the Roman Empire's army. He knows if he loses these prisoners, the, the, the Romans are going to kill him. So he just thinks, I'm going to save them the trouble. And he goes to kill himself put a sword into his heart. But Paul shouts out, no, 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 no. We're all here. We didn't run away. The jailer runs into Paul's cell and essentially says, whatever you have, I need. Tell me how to get it. They share the message of Jesus with them. The jailer becomes a follower of Christ. The jailer takes them back to his home. His family becomes followers of Christ. This is how the church of Philippi started. So when Paul... These, these years later, these months later, is writing back to them, thanking them for support. He's saying, when you supported me, you weren't just giving to an institution. You weren't just giving to a spiritual organization. You were participating in the work of God. That's his motive for encouraging them to keep on being generous. It's not that there's need even, but you're partnering with God's work. We see this generosity for the same reason in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is an inspiring and convicting passage about generosity. It says in verse 32, listen to these words. They won't be up on the screen. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common... And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now this passage, if we're being honest, grates against our capitalistic tendencies in America. No one in this very first church considered anything that they owned as owned by them. So if you owned a house, you weren't thinking, this is my house. You were thinking, this is our house. It's almost uncomfortable. It's not almost uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. Because you're thinking the same things that I'm thinking, which is I work hard. Not everybody works hard. I tried hard in school. Everybody tried hard in school. I'd get up and grind. So this level of generosity, it's it's almost unbelievable. It's not comfortable to be challenged by it. But but look at the reason why they were this generous. Just a few verses before, a few of the apostles had been arrested. This was one of the first times that they were arrested for Jesus' sake. And they come back, and this is their response in verse 29 of that same chapter. And now, Lord, they're praying, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're caught up in it. They're saying, when we pray in the name of Jesus, people are healed. When we gather in the name of Jesus, there are signs and wonders, We've been arrested. That's how much we're making our mark in this world. Remember, this was a very, very tiny faction of people, a very small group in a large Roman empire of which Jerusalem was a part. They are making a wave in Jesus name. And it says in verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is why they were so radically generous. This is why those who owned land said, you know what? That was my retirement plan, but I'm going to sell it and I'm going to bring the money to the church to make sure that there's nobody in our church who has any need, who's hungry, Who's uh, sick and can't pay for medical provision? I'm gonna make sure that everyone is taken care of. I'm gonna give what I have to the church so they can give to people's needs. This is why they did that, because the one time they were praying, and when they were praying, the whole building shook. And I'm guessing that if that happened here, all of us would open our wallets. So when Paul tells them, the Philippians, that to, they need to participate in giving. He's not saying do this because you ought to. He doesn't say give because there's need. Ought to and need only yield bare minimum generosity. I mean, I'm guessing in the last 24 hours you heard about some kind of financial need and most of us were unmoved by it. Need alone is not what moves us to the kind of generosity that God's word pushes us to. It's God's work alone. When we know that we are participating with him, that we are partnering with him, that he's at work, and we get to play a small role in that, the heart of our generosity is open. So why should you give to a church? Really, the only question you need to ask when you go to a church is God working here. Forget asking, should I give? You start by asking, is God changing people's lives in and around this community of Jesus followers? And if the answer is yes, then giving is a no-brainer. Because we give because God is at work. Second thing I want you to write down, we give because we have fellowship. Back in Philippians chapter four, verse 15 verse 14 and 15, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, he says in verse 16, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So Paul, as he's going about his ministry, he says only one church has actually stepped up and and helped me. And that was you, you, you Philippians. He says, you're the only ones who have participated in giving and receiving. Everyone else is just participating in the receiving. But only you Philippians are participated in the giving and the receiving. All the churches are benefiting from the receiving of the gospel. The receiving of teaching about what it means to follow Jesus. The teaching about how to organize yourself as a church that the Apostle Paul was doing. Everybody was receiving, but only Philippians We're giving. And why were they giving? It says in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. That word share is fellowship. You you decided to have fellowship in my trouble. A fellowship and sharing, it's the picture of two people walking in the same direction. One question we get consistently, you see this at the bottom during the frequently asked questions, which we'll mention in just a second, is uh, can I give to a nonprofit instead of giving to church? Like, does it count in the eyes of God? Is it kind of the same? I'm being generous to this nonprofit, but because of that, I'm not able to be generous to the church. Is is that is that cool? You know, um, and it definitely is. A cool thing to give to a nonprofit. When Amanda and I were in our early 20s, we went to a concert, and in the middle of the concert, one of the band members told us about Compassion International, a great Christian organization that sponsors children all around the world who need just a help up to make sure that they have the education to break cycles of poverty, to make sure that they have food uh, so that they can have their physical health to break cycles of poverty, and make sure that they're plugged into the life of a local church. It's an amazing organization, and when that happened, our hearts were moved by what we heard. And we went out in the lobby and we sponsored our first child through Compassion International and have been sponsoring children ever since. But our paths crossed with that need. We, We heard about the need as we were living our life. Our path crossed with that need and we decided to participate. And that's a very good thing. But the fellowship that a church should have is two or more people walking in the same direction. We're a church not just because once a week all of our paths cross. That's not what a church is. A church is a group of people who have set their sights on a singular focus and have said together, we are moving in this direction. So giving to a nonprofit is an amazing thing, but a church has fellowship together, we share things together. We share joy and we share grief. I mean, even in the last seven days, we've uh, had someone deeply embedded in our church family have a wedding and it was an amazing party and they were surrounded by many, many people in their Bayou City family. In that same seven days, another of our family members learned that she has stage four cancer and many in our church family have come around them to hurt with them. Giving to a nonprofit is great. The nonprofit is not going to show up at your hospital bed. The nonprofit's not going to come to the wedding and celebrate with you. The nonprofit is not going to send you a text that says, We're praying for you today. That only happens when two or more people say, This is where we're going, and we're going together. Why do we give to a church? We give because we have fellowship. Number three, we give to a church for credit. Now that doesn't sound right, does it? But that's what it says. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. So Paul's saying, I'm not bringing this up because I want you to send me more care packages through Epaphroditus, who is a member of the Philippian church. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That word credit, it is profit that accrues in an account. So Paul is saying that when you give at church, it's not just a financial transaction, it's a spiritual transaction. When you give, when you are generous in Jesus' name, you're not just investing in God's work here and now, you are literally investing in your own future. That's what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, when he says, don't worry about storing up treasure on earth because there are moths and there are rust and there are thieves, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where those things can't get in. So when you give to a church, when you are generous in Jesus' name, you are depositing, making an investment in your account. Not just a financial transaction, but a spiritual transaction. Next, you give to a church as an offering. Verse 18. I have received full payment, he said, and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So to describe giving, Paul reaches into the temple in Jerusalem and he pulls out some vocabulary. Because in the temple, there was sacrifices that were happening as an offering, as a worship to God. There was an altar of incense, a fragrant aroma that would float up to God. So Paul is using that language to say, when you give, it's an act of worship. It's a sacrifice, and God is pleased with it. Speaking of offering, I thought this would be a great time to, to answer some of those frequently asked questions. Because we all have them and we all ask them at one time or another. You see them in your listening guide. For example, we hear consistently, I assume uh, lots of people give to Bayou City, is that true? So, you know, we always think of ourselves as the exception um, and assume everyone else is doing what we are not. It's not true. Lots of people don't give to Bayou City. In fact, our best guess, and by our, I'm just including myself, and I'm not an expert. Our intelligent people have uh, their best guess is that only 36% of us are giving in a regular way that can be counted on. So 64% of us are doing what Paul said all those other churches were doing, just receiving. But only 36% are sharing in the ministry of giving and receiving. So it's not true that lots of people are giving to Bayou City. I think a lot of us think, you know, I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a billionaire. So like, what is my offering really going to do. It's not going to move the needle at all. And, and listen, may, there may be churches in the world where that's true, but that is not true here. A regular gift of any size will make a humongous difference here because most of us are not giving. So that's not true. Second frequently asked question is, what is a tithe? If you've grown up in church, you may have heard that word before. Uh, you you've maybe know exactly what it is. If you're a little bit new, maybe you've heard but not really understood. The tithe comes from the Old Testament law where God prescribed this is how he wanted his people to honor him. And one way he wanted them to honor him was by giving 10% of their income, whether their income was money, cash, or crops, or livestock, whatever it was, they would bring 10% of that to the temple to support the work of God in God's house. Now if you read the scripture uh, through, you know that the law was a tutor for us to show us that we needed something more than our effort. The law was a foundation that the kingdom of God is built on. The law was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do. In fact, Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so when Jesus lived taught, died, was resurrected, ascended. He fulfilled the Old Testament law. So the New Testament says there's some parts of that law we don't need to worry about anymore because Jesus has fulfilled it. So we don't get caught up in the way that we wash our hands in a specific way like the people of the Old Testament did. We don't need to get caught up on, on, on what kind of food we can eat. We can eat this. We, can, we can't we can eat that. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, we don't have to worry about making sure that we celebrate this specific holiday in this specific way. We don't have to worry about those laws because Jesus fulfilled those things. But the New Testament does affirm other parts of the law. Jesus himself said, for example, that the best thing we can do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are Old Testament laws that Jesus affirmed. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, affirms a lot of the moral laws of the Old Testament. But what about tithing? When you read about The church in the New Testament, the tithe is nowhere to be seen, which for some of us it's like, woo, 10%, man, that's a lot of money. If you feel that way, do not read your Bible. Just avoid the book of Acts at all costs because the tithe is not mentioned. That is true. But for those first followers of Jesus, at 10%, they were just getting warmed up in their generosity. Their thinking was, that's what we used to do when we were trying to work our way to God. But now Jesus has come and set us free. Now he's come to us instead of us trying to get to him. How much more should we do? So the tithe, I don't think that God is all that concerned with a percent here and a percent there. I don't think he checks in with us every month to make sure that specifically 10% has come to God's house. I do think that he checks in on our generosity. I do think that he leads us in that way. And I do think that 10% can be where we get started to. Well, if I'm going to do something like that, the next frequently asked question is, uh, how will the money be spent? Sometimes it says, how will my money be spent? (laughs) Which is important. When we were starting Bayou City, we wanted to make a measurable difference in Houston. You know, we didn't want to just start a church so we could have a bunch of people come on Sundays and then go back about their normal lives. We really wanted to make a difference in Jesus' name. There are some real needs in our city. There are needs in Houston that are unique to Houston, and, and Houston leads the way in certain aspects of darkness in the world, and we wanted to do something about that. Well, the, the thing that I know about myself as a person, the thing that I know about churches and you do too, is that the more people that come around, the more needs there are inside of the church, and the easier it is to just kind of turn inward and say, well, we could give outside, but uh, we should give inside. And never underestimate our ability to invent needs that we have. I mean, think about those of you who are a little bit older. Think about the things that you have now and the things that you had when you were 22. The 22-year-old version of you, for most of us, would be like, I can't believe that I am so rich. The 22-year-old version of us would be like, I'll never have a house like that. I'll never drive a car like that. I can't imagine having that much discretion to, to be able to go and pay for a vacation. I don't know. That's not me. Now, all these years later, those are necessities for us. We can't imagine a life without those things. I can't live in a smaller house. I can't drive a used car. Right? Those, those, those things become the, the bottom basement standard for us. Never underestimate our ability to invent needs So I knew that that would happen to us as a church. So we laid in the foundation from day one, still through this day, that 20% of everything that we get at Bayou City is immediately set aside and we do not touch it for anything that happens inside of the church. We do not spend it on us. We use it to make a measurable difference for Jesus' name in Houston and around the world. It is a guardrail for us to make sure that we don't turn inward and just start inventing needs. Well, we need this and we need that and we need this and we need that. And now we've spent all of the money that God has given us on things for ourselves and not to actually help people. How will the money be spent? Well, we do it as shrewdly as possible. We try to keep our costs as low as possible so that we can help people, so that more people can know about Jesus. That's why we give, because God is at work. Nobody wants to give to a spiritual business, not me and not you. So we do our best to do that. Now, I know that you, you, many of you won't take my word for it, and I don't think that you should take my word for it. And so if you'd like to get into the nitty gritty, uh, uh, we want you to visit com backslash vision. That's in the listening guide. You can see that if you don't remember that. And on there will be some things that we're focused on. Uh, it will also be how we're spending our money. There are some of our financial documents available online for you to see. Again, that's bayoucityfellowship.com. Dot com backslash vision. Also on that page is some contact information if you have specific questions that you would like answered. Uh, if you've ever been a part of an organization and got to peek behind the curtain a little bit and what you see back there makes you wish you weren't a part of the organization, that happens at churches too. And um, by God's grace, I think that I can say the more you know about what goes on here, the more you see of what happens behind the curtain, although we, there shouldn't be a curtain in general, but the more you know... Um, I think the prouder you would be to go to church here. And so if you have specific questions, there's contact information on there. Please ask. We want you to have all the information because how will the money be spent is a really, really important question. And we wanna make sure it's answered. And then the last question, which I mentioned earlier, is, uh, is giving to a nonprofit the same as giving to a church? And I won't repeat any of that. Here's the good news though. I don't think you have to choose. I think when it comes to generosity towards work in Jesus' name, you don't have to make a choice. Should I support this or should I give to my family of faith? I think the answer is yes and yes. And here's why I believe that because my last stop today, why should I give to the church? Because God will meet our needs. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I love the Apostle Paul just threw in a little personal pronoun there. And my God will supply all your needs. Because that's what he's writing about. His God had provided his needs through the Philippians. So Paul is saying, just as God has provided for me, my God provided for me, he's also going to provide for, for you. And notice that he does that in accordance with his riches, in glory, in Christ Jesus. When you buy something, ideally you buy it in accordance with your bank account. Credit cards threw all that off. But ideally, if you have $3,000 in your bank account, you don't go and buy a million dollar home. If you've done that, we would like to talk with you after. That's going to end poorly for you. Right. you. You buy things in accordance with what you have. God gives to us in accordance with what he has. He does not give to us according to our needs. He gives to us in accordance with his bank account, his riches available to us in Christ Jesus. So when we are deciding, should I be generous in this way or should I be generous in this way? The answer can be yes and yes. Because God will make sure that the needs of those who are meeting the needs of others will be met. And he's rich. He's rich. He's never gonna run out, so you don't have to worry. So what I would encourage you to do is to to not go home and look at what you have and then say, uh, well, how can I participate in giving at church? Because if you go and look at what you have, what you have will, will not look like it's enough. No one ever thinks they have extra. Not Bill Gates, not Warren Buffett, Not the owners of the Astros or the Rockets. When they look at their bank accounts, it doesn't feel like enough. No one does. But we don't have to worry about that. God has already promised we have more than enough. So I would just say, just go ahead and make your decision about how you are going to participate in God's work financially to his house. Wherever that house is, whether it's here or somewhere else, just make your decision now. And watch what will happen. Jesus told Satan that you're not supposed to put God to the test. You remember that when Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. You you shouldn't put God to the test. There is at least one exception. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is God speaking. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So, God would say about giving, it's fine to test Him. Start participating in both the giving and the receiving, and you will have more than enough. And I have found that to be true in my life. When I've looked at what I've had, had the opportunity to be generous, but then thought, no, just not now, not right now. Maybe one day, maybe one day when I come across a pot of gold. I will be able to be generous, but I just can't right now. When I'm in that mindset, what I have never feels enough, like enough. And I'm anxious, and I'm worried, and I'm stingy. But when I've decided ahead of time, I'm going to be generous to the work of God in this world. Somehow, miraculously, I look at what I have, and it feels like more than enough. And so I would encourage you to take God up on this. Put him to the test. And you will see that what Paul told the Philippian church is not just true for them, but true for you too. Why should I give to a church? You should give because God is at work. You should give because we're in this together. You should give because you get credit. You should give because it's an act of worship to God. And you should give because you don't have to worry about what you have when you are giving. Let's pray.